Welcome, welcome to the Bro CR Supercast. Basically, a super cool podcast. See what we did there? <laughs> we discuss all things obstacle course racing, culture, and community that embodies it. From performing athletes, flashy new gear, and secret guacamole recipes. Yummy. We've got you covered, bro. Do you have questions? We want to find answers. Want to talk about running in the mud and your next big adventure? Cool. So do we. Now let's lace up those trail kicks and jump in the corral. The Supercast. The Supercast starts now. And welcome to the Supercast. This is episode. Are we are we at thirty now? Um, I think I think this might be thirty. Holy cow, guys! Um, what a weekend. Yeah, it was awesome. We've been. I know we've been talking about it for weeks and weeks, and y'all are probably sick of hearing it. But Highlander Assault was this past weekend. We had a blast. It was awesome. I'm. It was. It was really good. The, the Leah terrain, ran. I ran. We got to spend time with the community. Yeah. It was phenomenal. It was. It was a great race. I know that. You know, I, I, surprisingly, there wasn't as many people there as as I think should be there. And I know the timing is weird with everything else. So. You know, guys, this is definitely a race that you're going to want to plan for next year and put it on the list. It's it's totally worth coming to. Here's the thing. There's something magical about locals. And it's you come together as a community and you build something bigger than the sum of your parts. And mm-hmm. it's really fun. It's yeah. a great time. It's great people. And there's so much tradition there that is it's something you don't want to miss out on. And sure. I'm I am ecstatic to be part of those things in 2020 and come back and help out in any way, shape, and form that we can. For sure. So you guys put it on the list. Highlander so, assault. Yep. So this week, as always, our podcast is brought to you by Vanga CBD. Um, as we are getting into championship season, do not neglect the rest and recovery needed. Um, Venga is made by endurance athletes for endurance athletes, the highest quality CBD on the market, um, THC free water soluble, meaning you're getting five times, um, into your bloodstream as other products. Um, check them out at vengacbd.com slash brocr and save 15% as always with code brocr. And you know, what's great about this, Leah? What's great. Guess what's going to happen tomorrow. What's going to happen tomorrow. I'm going to hang out with the Vanga guys in Tahoe. I am so jealous. I know this. I am so jealous that you guys get to hang out together. Jay and Dave are awesome, (laughs) awesome guys and super supportive. If anyone has any questions about Vanga or just CBD in general, it doesn't even have, you don't have to be a customer. You don't have to be using their products. They would love to talk to you, educate, answer questions. So find Jacob and those guys aren't going to be too far behind, I'm sure. So here's the thing here in the next few days, I'm going to head out to the Spartan Media Muse, uh, Media Fest there mm-hmm. at the uh, at Tahoe. And I'm going to shoot a few different episodes of the Supercast, kind of one-offs. Um, I'm going to mm-hmm. call it the Brociar Supercast Side Hustle. <laughs> oh, there you go. 
the side hustle. And we're going to we're going to have some really interesting interviews with a variety of people talking about yep. things like this. And I'm hoping to bring Dave and Jay in. Um, I'm going to be Perfect. staying with them for a little while. We're going to have a good time and we're going to talk about the world how it's evolving with all this stuff. Yeah, there's um, lots of stuff coming out. Every day you're hearing more and more information about different states and laws and rules and regulations. And honestly, I don't think it's going to be much longer before the FDA gets involved. So, I would agree. You know, if, if you're going to be using the product, whether it be Vanger or somebody else, just know what you're using. Know the science exactly. behind it. And, Do some research know, for your own educate sake. Educate yourself. Absolutely. The Chances are the $10 <laughs> bottle at, you know... The quick Walgreens. mark down the street yeah. is not going to be what you want to be taking. So. Exactly. And that was the whole reason we partnered with the Venga guys, because mm-hmm. as soon as we – the day that we started doing the podcast with them, they sent us a 66-page. Something like that. Um, whole thing. And then they sent us, like, lab results and test results yeah. and, like, check this out. They are absolutely transparent yeah. with what a product they have, and I appreciate that as an athlete. All of that information that we just referenced is available online, um, and you know they are totally wide open with all of their stuff. So absolutely. So without further ado, this week on the Supercast, we've got a great guy here, Jason Rulo. Guess what, guys? The next few races we're going to do, it's probably going to be cold. Yeah, we are in championship season, and for some reason, that's now become synonymous with Colded Mountain. Um, we've got Tahoe this weekend, um, then we've got World's Toughest Mudder, we've got Sweden Ultra Championships, um, and I'm sure some other ones along the way as the weather is, you know, we're entering winter. So, And, and here's the thing, at the beginning of next season, we're going to see things like Abominable, we're going to see those Spartan-like yep. snow races, we're going to... Th- you need to stay warm, and we've got yeah. the guy Jason Rulo here on the line to talk about it with us. Um, we're so excited to bring Jason on. He's a he's a friend. He's a good guy here from the St. Louis area. Um, yeah, and without further ado, let's go over to the line. And welcome back. I'm Jacob Bosecker, and we are sitting here with Leah Hensley and Jason Rulo. <laughs> you can't even say the name without singing the song. I have to do it every single freaking time. Jason, how's it going, buddy? I'm <laughs> ah, doing fantastic. Doing fantastic. Glad you guys are having me on. Awesome. So, so for those um, of you guys who don't know Jason, um, he runs out of the Midwest, but he is claim to fame. Um, the inventor of the Neptune. Um, we started kind of hearing about Neptune as um, last year things, you know, started getting colder at the end of the year and kind of toting the the word of the neptune i think it's catching on and now with tahoe coming up this weekend it's gonna be cold guys here's the thing in the next few months um we've got we've got some big name races uh we've got you know we've got tahoe this weekend where they're calling for highs of 40 we've got sweden we've got wtm which was cold as heck last year and um we need to stay warm jason do you have answers for us (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to try to help you guys out. You know, this is, I've been involved in cold racing for years. I was at the second World's Toughest Mudder and been at one every every year since then. So uh, Atlanta was nothing new to me. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to help out any way I can. In fact, I, I had about four people contact me in the last three days about uh, purchasing a Neptune for Tahoe. I didn't realize it was supposed to be that cold. I knew that uh, there was going to be 
there's been snow in the forecast for the last couple of weeks because when I was in Colorado a couple of weeks ago, they were talking about snow in Tahoe. But uh, you know, it's uh, it's it, it's fantastic time of year for uh, those who like <laughs> racing in the cold. You know, we've been just been watching here in the past few weeks and everything prepping for Tahoe, and it's just been dipping like five degrees a day. Mm-hmm. And after they got snow last week. And then there, I mean, here's the thing. And we here on Brosey are going to announce at any given time, if they cut the swims and they cut the dunk walls and stuff for Tahoe, we'll, we'll announce that. We'll make that um, accessible to our public and stuff um, as soon right. as possible. But here's the thing. Tahoe itself is still a cold race. It's colder. And yeah. So for people who are getting ready to do a cold race, you know, and say they live like me in Atlanta or they don't live where they have access to, to cold, you know, where do people start? Like what's, what's the first, you know, Great question. cold for dummies? Well, okay. So I'll give you a quick rundown and this is, unfortunately the people in Tahoe should have listened to this probably two months ago. So, but Easily. It, it is what Easily. it is, you know, the, uh, and, and just as a disclaimer, I've never raced in Tahoe, but the science goes good for pretty much everywhere there's cold. There's certain things that are unique to Tahoe, like the wind and the fact all mountain races in, in, in general, as people know, if you're changing elevation, when you go from the bottom, that's the warmest. And then you yep. go to the top and it gets colder as you go up and the air gets thinner. And there's a bunch of other science stuff, which I'll kind of get into just quickly uh, to kind of help people understand why they if they are not used to racing in the mountains, their body freaks the heck out because they got multiple things going on at one time. And it's, it's so much stress that occurs as far as the body's concerned. And it's basically freak out mode and not just for the person themselves in their own mind, but their body is actually like, what the hell is going on? If you haven't got there to acclimate and get used to it, you know, the pros do that, but average Joe Schmo, they don't really do that. So just a little bit of my background. When I was in college, way back in the day, I, I specialized in um, in acclimatization, which is different from acclimation. People always misuse the word acclimation. When you go to in a different environment, like your people that are traveling to Tahoe, you don't acclimate to Tahoe. You acclimatize to Tahoe. So acclimate is to get used to the environment you're you're in right now. Like as we in the Midwest transition into fall and then into winter. We acclimate to the cold temperatures that are coming. We get used to them. But when we okay. go somewhere else, like to the mountains, that's acclimatization because there's a different climate than we're used to. So when you make changes based on that climate, meaning changes based on the altitude, changes based on you know a different type, like a human environment, you're going to sweat yeah, yeah. more different things like that. That's called acclimatization because you're adapting to the climate, the different climate, not climate change like the, you know, the, the fancy thing that everybody talks about where we're, you know, we're changing the environment. This is our body's adaptation to the environment that we're now in. So anyway, um, as far as Tahoe is concerned, how you prepare for that or how you prepare for a, a race such as that, the first thing I always tell people is start because we, we're not used to cold water. The, the worst thing that can happen to Absolutely. a person who is transferring into a, a cold environment is to put them in cold water. Cold water, because it's it's so adept at sucking heat out of a body that is in the water. You know, if your body doesn't know the product proper adaptations, when it jumps into the water, it basically freaks out itself because it doesn't it, it, it doesn't know what, how, how it's supposed to react. And that type of freak out 
people notice immediately with that <gasps> that diaphragmatic yep. reflex yep. Yeah. where they try to Lose take in as much oxygen as possible. Exactly. So, you know, anybody familiar with Wim Hof, obviously, they know how to how to control that and how to do the breathing techniques to try to control the diaphragmatic reflex. But the idea is you want your body to be used to that type of thing. So taking ice baths, which has a dual effect, by the way, I do ice baths every single week. It's anti-inflammatory and you get used to the cold. So those two things are, are beneficial mutually, but just trying to get yourself in, used to being cold. And even if you're in, you know, Mexico city or some other place that's warm, Atlanta, all those things, just immersion in cold water is going to help. Not everybody has a, has the ability to go into some type of an ice freezer and get used to cold that way. That's a very slow way. But an ice, but an ice bath for 10 minutes or so, um, a couple times a week or whatever, that'll help get your body kind of ready for that shock of the cold, cold environment. But that's kind of how you do it, getting, up, getting ready for it. And then, you know, mm -hmm. I know you guys got questions about gear, and I'll kind of let you, you know, talk about it, and we'll kind of lead into that. But that's really – the best way, if you don't have access to the cold, you, you're not a person that lives near the mountains where you can go up higher and it gets colder, colder and colder, and you got to be able to adapt to that. If you're not going to adapt to the mountains, you know, you got to at least adapt to the cold as best you can. And cold water, especially with Tahoe, between the wind and the water, those are the two things that get people. And I know, Jacob, you said about them getting them removing the cold water out of the out of the equation, moving the swims and stuff like that. That doesn't mean that the people won't end up with hypothermia if they're walking out there like a bunch of barrel-chested gorillas and the wind is blowing 40 miles an hour and it's 40 degrees outside at the base of the mountain. Yep. Right. So, you know, that's the, so, of, that's the thing. So I'll, I'll bounce off on this. So we talked about the Wim – lot to unpack there. So talking about the Wim Hof method, one of the things I love about the Wim Hof method that with the instructor that I'm working with here, Jesse Coomer, which was one of the first guys here in the U.S. to be um, certified under the method, there was a great baseline that he, he kind of laid out to me. He's like, you're in the water at least three times as long as you are in the water. So like if you're in the water for three minutes – and then you take off running, you're still in that for an, another six minutes. Yeah. Um, so that's realistically nine minutes in, in these cold temperatures. And that's, that's what your body kind of gets used to is like, you've got two times that still outside of that, outside of that Delta. Um, additionally though, after doing that and then running a ridgeline where you have that wind snap off the backside of the mountain, that's going to be even freaking worse. Um, exactly. And that's, that's what I always think about was that first year that I went and did Tahoe. I jumped in the water. Okay, I was all right. It was cold. It was horrible, but whatever. I got done. And then the wind hit me. And that's right. when I went into the after drop. Um, well, and I think part of that then too, to prepare for that is, is your gear choices. Because I think this is another like, you know, hot topic of preparation and you'll see some people go into these races with like as many layers as they could possibly stay mobile in and, you know, it all gets soaking wet and then the wind hits them and it's just locking in all that cold even worse, right? Well, yeah. Well, there's actually, so there's actually a negative effect there. See, this is what people don't realize and Leah knows because she's raced with me. I always <laughs> tell people, you have to cool your you have to cool your body as you're beginning to prepare for the race. So you want to cool the body 
before you race. Most people want to get as warm as they possibly can, and then they strip all the clothes off and they go. Well, the problem with that is, is your body is now set into cooling mode, which means it's sending yeah. blood to the skin. It doesn't, it doesn't know physiologically what's about to happen. So you strip off the clothes, and it's in cooling mode, and it's like, what the hell? And it tries to it tries to stop that cooling mechanism, except it's slow. So you're actually if you if it's forty degrees Cooler outside, you're actually yeah you're actually too warm when you start. You you overcool and then you put yep, yourself yep. in a bad position. And then on top of that, and this is not Spartan's fault. This is just the nature of racing. On top of that, they take off, bang! They go flying out like a bat out of heck, flying up the mountain, right? For the first fifteen minutes. Got, <laughs> yeah. So now you got your blood flowing, you're pumping, you're warm, you're good. You got a good sweat going, and then the wind starts. And now you're yep. getting cool. And now you're because you went out like a bat out of hell starting out, now you're too now you're getting tired. So you can't run quite as hot and can't run quite as fast. And as you're getting higher and higher, you can't process oxygen quite as well. So now you're slowing. So as you're slowing, you're already in this cooling mode. And your body starts to cool itself even more and even more and even more. And now you're, you basically have started the train going backwards and you just don't even realize it yet. And so this train is, is coming to a halt as you reach the top of the mountain. And then you get in the water and the yeah. water just sends your body into a total freak out because it, what, what, what was warm is now got cold and is now really freaking cold. Yep. And if you don't, if you haven't prepared for this and your body doesn't really know what to do, it has now overreacted and it, it is now too cold and it can't because now you're all stiffened up. You're you, you at the top of the mountain. When you're at the top of the mountain, you're not processing oxygen quite as well. Your body is actually, you're actually going to breathe faster, which is going to cool you even quicker because you're taking yep. in cold air. All these things are things that people, you can't see these things happening. You can yeah. see the cold water. You can feel it. But everything is t putting you in a tailspin. And if you don't have a proper preparation, you don't have the proper gear with you at that point, you can't end the tailspin. And by the time you realize it, you're hypothermic. You've already DNF'd at that point. And we'll see. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. Then we look at the guys that are doing the ultra, and it's like, okay, you get back to your drop bin. Okay, let's do it all again. Right. Exactly. <laughs> So for people who didn't have the time to prepare and they're now hearing this and like, oh, shit, I'm going to die. W let's talk gear. What can they do now, having not taken the cold showers, having not, you know, gotten their body used to it? How do they go into this to give themselves the best shot? Okay, so I'm, I'm just going to speak in generalized form of gear because, like, you know, okay, we talked about the Neptune when that, when we first started, and people were like, oh, yep. what the heck's that? Well, the Neptune thermoregulation system, is that when I developed it, the idea was that people were going to need external forms of heat, and they were going to need external form of wind resistance. But as far as this is concerned, if you had a Neptune, the Neptune would provide two different types of help for you. First of all, first and foremost, it does provide external heat. But if you don't have that, even if you didn't have the heat in, you still got this barrier around the abdomen area, which wind block. So mm -hmm. the idea that you're looking for is you want to provide wind resistance against the body. So the person, even if you don't have a Neptune that's going to provide the heat and provide the wind resistance, to, you know, if you're somebody like Ryan Atkins, who last year chose to take a jacket with him, and 
it was probably a good idea in one respect, but actually may have, in my opinion, cost him the race in the other respect. Because we know we have to start and end with the same gear, right? Yep. So at some point during it. the time frame, he put it on and he took it off. I don't know how good he is at doing that, but he lost by like 30 seconds. So when you start figuring that into the count, you're like, man, if he'd had something like the Neptune where he could just literally have the wind block and have, if he needed external heat, he could have that. That's great. But if somebody doesn't have that, they can put a jacket on, but then they got to carry it with them. So you got to figure out a way to make that work. A zip jacket's the best way to go because you can vent it. You can vent the front of it, let air blow in. It still might be too hot. You tie it around your waist. I think he put his in like a spy pack uh, type okay. of uh, type of belt. Yeah, I think it was so in his belt. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, so you have to find a way to t- kind of store that. The other route you could go is the old uh, Scott Warzicki route, which is put a <laughs> trash bag on when you get to the top of the mountain. That means you got you got to stuff it down your shorts or stuff it down your pants, but at least yep. you'll have some resistance against the wind when you're coming out of the water or something like that, or maybe even on the way up, but then you're going to have to stuff it back down your pants. You know, some people might cheat and throw it away, but that's technically illegal. You can't do that. But so we're talking, we're not talking about some big fancy heat gear, cold gear, insulated something or other. I mean, you mentioned a trash bag. So we're talking just a thin layer of something to guard your skin. basically. Yeah. Assuming in in a bet in the best world situation, so if you get hypothermic, all bets are off because you're screwed. Your body is so cold now, you're not generating enough heat. It's in, it's in protection mode. Yep. Once you get to that point, you're SOL. If before that, though, you're generating heat. And when you're running, you're generating heat. The key problem that people, in, in my eyes, are having is that they're letting, they want to be warm. You never want to be warm if you know you're going to be cold. Now, that sounds funny. But that's the way it is. Because once you're warm, your body switches mode. It happened to Junyon Pak in 2015. He started sweating. Yep. Yeah, he was hot. He was wearing his wetsuit. He got hot. He took the wetsuit off. And once he took the wetsuit off and hit the cold water, boom. And it's that, it's that and that's something that we've talked about so many times with me and Jesse. It's, it's that dynamic shift. It's too big of a shift. Right. And it's, you know, exactly. I, I, I go back to American Grit with uh, Brooke Van Paris back in the day where she was getting hot, where she was doing burpees, and then they put her back in the ice bath, and then she jumped back out and tried to and started warming herself up again. It was that dynamic shift, and boom, like you said, you're done. You're on the ground. Yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, I think people's natural instincts when you know you're going to get cold, it's, oh, God, i got to stay as warm as I can as long as I can before it hits me. I don't want, you know, I'm going to avoid it. But the truth of the matter is when you're dealing with a, you know, however many miles, 12, 13, 14, however many miles is it's going to be race, you're not going to be able to stay warm the whole time. So the fact is you're going to get cold for a while. Yeah. And it's and it's like I said, it's actually better to be slightly cold all the time and not to get too cold. Not, you know, you're not trying to really try to kill yourself. You just want to be slightly cold so that the body doesn't have that dynamic shift. It's just yep. slightly cold. Um, and then that way, and, and it's much easier for, as far as the body is concerned, to make, hey, wait, we need, we're getting a little cold here. we got to try to hold on to this as best as possible. So let's try to hold on to the, the amount of heat that we have. But like I said, if, you, if you're warm and you go into, warming, go into cooling mode, uh, by the time that train stops, you're in trouble. So, you know, it, 
you don't need special gear. You just got to understand what's happening. And, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say it. It happened because you fucked up. If you yep. got hypothermia, you screwed up. And you didn't just screw up once. You screwed up multiple times. And it's just <laughs> it just comes from ignorance. It's okay. You screwed up because you got too warm at the start. You didn't know. You screwed yeah. up because, you did, yeah, you didn't have the right gear. You didn't acclimate to the environment, meaning the heat, the not, not necessarily the cold, but the fact that if you're in Tahoe, you got this elevation change. You didn't realize that the increase in elevation was going to cause you to breathe heavier, which breathing heavier puts more cold air into your lungs, which helps cool you. That same process also helps dehydrate you because there's no hydration in the air. Mm -hmm. Less body water in your system. If you start the race slightly dehydrated or if you're getting dehydrated as you go through the race, the less body water you have, the faster you'll dehydrate. It's a problem that bodybuilders have as they're dieting down and they lose body water in the last couple of days. They're always cold. It's because the amount of energy that it takes to change your body temperature is higher. You need more energy to change the body temperature, meaning you need a colder temperature in order to cool you down when you have full water. It's also part of the reason why people who have more body fat also stay warmer longer. In addition to the insulation of the fat, they have more body water. More body yeah. water allows them to maintain heat better because that change in temperature doesn't happen as fast. Uh, although they do have more surface area, that's a negative. They have also often have enough insulation. <laughs> so you got a bunch of things happening that they don't, but people don't realize is happening. They started off too hot. They're in an environment like Tahoe, which, you know, an arid environment that as they gain an elevation, they breathe heavier because they can't breathe as well. And now it's in furthering their, in their environmental stress. Then they jump in the water, which is the fastest way for the body to cool itself is just put you in cold water. And now they started that downward spiral. Plus you add the wind. That's why all these guys who run out there with no, no top on or whatever. So ridiculous. It, yeah. They may be fast enough to maintain heat. They may be. They may be, you know, uh, Ryan Atkins or Ryan Kent. Yeah. But the average person needs to save their ego or at least, <laughs> they, you know, but, if you. But if you hit I, that I, wind, you better be hauling ass. That's my whole yeah. thing. Yeah. So, you better be getting a lot of heat. So key takeaway so far for racers. Number one, you want to start cold at the starting line. You don't want to be warm and cozy. Right. Yeah. Number two, yeah. you don't want to be an egomaniac and shirtless. Basically, unless you're fighting for podium, you better have a shirt on. Yeah. Uh, well, hold on, hold on. Let even me, at that point, sure. I would have a shirt on. Right. So, yeah, I, I would almost say no shirt. A jacket is better. So, the, okay. the so key something is, over your body now. Yeah, yeah, because the key is, is if most people wear a shirt, even if it's spandex, as soon as they hit that water, the shirt's going to be wet. So it's not going to yep. provide anything against the wind. The wind is now blowing against a cold, wet shirt, which is now cooling your body and providing no resistance to the wind. So yep. a windbreaker, a shirtless to start, and then a windbreaker to put on is actually a better plan than a shirt, if that makes sense. Interesting. Okay, that that's is, fair. That is interesting, and I don't think it's something that a lot of people of think about. I think that people who are used to doing things like – you know, maybe longer ultras or world's toughest mudder or things like that. I think, you know, a windbreaker is kind of standard gear and people think about it. But for your average racer who typically just kind of runs, 
you know, the beasts here and there or whatever. I don't know how many people think about a windbreaker as a piece of racing gear, you know? Well, Adkins used it last year. And if he hadn't have been fighting for podium, it had been a, a formidable plan. And he was able to store it. And I'm sure here's the thing, the difference between, and, and you guys know this, the difference between an elite racer and a Joe Schmo. The elite racer will practice putting and taking yep. off that jacket while they're running during training. Because they know that if I don't get this thing off and in my pack quickly, yep. this is going to be a problem. Now, if you, yep. if you, it doesn't yep. matter. If you're not going for podium, it doesn't matter. You can stop at a water station and put it away. It's no big deal. But right. if, you're, if you're planning on running hard, you better make sure you practice taking that jacket off and putting it wherever you're putting it uh, during yep. that time frame. Now, I, my jacket, which I would never race in a Spartan race with because it's too expensive, but the jacket I raced with in uh, Colorado is a Norvan Shake Dry Gore-Tex jacket. I can literally spin it. And it will flip into like basically the smallest piece of uh, it look basically looks like a trash bag and I can tie it real quick and no problem. I actually was able to fold it while I was power hiking up the mountain and put it away. No big deal. Uh, if you got a jacket that'll pack that quickly, you know, you're fantastic. If your jacket doesn't pack that quickly and you can't really smash it into a spy belt or into your pants that fast, mm-hmm. you better make sure you practice. So. All right, so I, I want to push this a different direction, though, real quick, though. Okay, so we've been talking a lot about the core and and um, different gear, the Neptune, and then just just the simplicity of a windbreaker. But, okay, let's talk about extremities, because we've talked about this, like, major mm-hmm. heat loss points on the body, which are the feet, the hands, and the head. Or is mm-hmm. there any gear that you would advise as far as cold temperatures for those things? Okay, so... Now I'm going to contradict you here slightly. When the okay. body goes in, when the body goes into its 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 uh, fail safe mode, okay, I'm okay. freaking cold. Yep. All the Vital blood organs. that is Vital now, organs. All, yes, all the body, all the blood comes back to the core. So yep. the cooling points that are in the hands and all that. This is why your grip goes to crap when yeah. when you're when you're in the cold because your body pulls the blood in close. Yep. into the arteries and not out into the extremity, not out into the muscles, which makes your muscles weak. However, yep. the key, so people always say, oh yeah, you got to keep your wrists warm. Well, what do people wear in OCR? They wear like these stupid gloves. Well, the gloves yep. will actually make your hands colder. You're not going to get any grip off of those and your gloves are wet and your body's noticing that. Now, um, version one of the Blake mist did not do anything for your wrists. However, Deanna fixed that problem with version two, the new version, which yep. Evan Preparis said he's now sold out of for for Tahoe because everybody, all these people freaked out. But yeah, that sure. version actually, that version actually covers your wrist and it'll keep your wrist warm and that'll help a little bit. You know, your forearm muscles are going to get tired and they're going to get weaker. But if you're talking about purposeful gear, what's guaranteed? What do you need? Um, I, I'm I'm actually in, in this particular race. I would tell you that your feet don't matter for world's toughest. You need wool socks. But agreed. This race, you're running so much, you're not really pausing. You're, you're going up and down mountains. You got heat. You're moving your feet pretty well. I'm going to contend that you don't really need to worry about your feet. Some people would, you know, if you got special issues, that's one thing. But uh, yeah, yeah. But your head, uh, you need a hat. That's like I wrote a blog on this a couple years ago, and I've updated it since. But uh, you definitely need a hat if you, you know, if, if you're if you're a woman and you're gonna have wet hair the whole time, it's probably a good idea to cover it up. 
Uh, if you're a guy and you're bald, it's definitely a good idea to cover it up. But, um, you know, you can get any type of a hat that's just going to keep air off your head and uh, you're going to have a it's going to be you're going to have a better chance. It doesn't have okay. to be wool. Well, so that, whenever so I think another question about here, like, though, real, real, real quick before before you, you break in, Lee, I want to break in here. Um, so a hat versus a swim cap. Well, so a swim cap, a swim cap would work as well. Either one. Okay. Some people don't like the look of that, so they would never do that in a race unless they're like. Well, I would consider it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I've worn one once. I look like a freaking big bird's penis because it was yellow. <laughs> <laughs> that was at World's Toughest 2012, and I because I fell in the water and lost my regular hat. The guy that was with me had a swim cap in his back in his uh, camelback, so he handed it to me. So I wore it for a lap. So I will contend I have done that. Um, yeah. But yeah, hat and uh, sometimes something to cover your wrists and your hands, preferably bleg mitts because that's what they were designed for. But uh-huh. um, you know, um, I guess whatever you've got. If you're trying to do obstacles, obviously you're going to want to take them off. Uh, but you know, that's that's a different thing. Yeah, I'm a big fan of neoprene caps that kind of have, that have the chin strap, and then that way you don't have to worry about them popping off in the dunk wall or anything like that. It's not bulky; yeah. they're just tight and fitted to your head. You know, and, and when I think about some of the elite racers, you know, an iconic image in my mind um, is from Tahoe is Hobie Call running with, you know, a beanie on his head, leg mitts on his, you know, hands, and that's it. Um, well, you know, and you know, the funny, the irony with that is he's from altitude. Mm-hmm. So he knows yep. in Utah, he knows he's experienced this all the time, he knows how to run in this stuff. So, you yep. know. Um, he knows how to cut, he knows how to stay warm in general. So he put the bleg mitts on, he put the hat on, he, he did the yep. things that was necessary. He still ran shirtless, but still. Yep. Yep. And so. that's, that's also another thing that I want to bring up here though, is talking about living at altitude and people like there. So I always think of Tahoe as like the sweet spot. So you start at about, you know, 5,500, 6,000 right there. And then you eventually go up to about 10 K. Now that's where it gets weird. Like six thousand, you can always. I, I always feel like I'm pretty good there, but right there at about nine k, things start getting weird. So what happens for people who are not used to running or who never have run at altitude? What are some don't freak out? This is going to happen. Just just expect it. Reactions. Okay, so. The and I know people like Dennis Welch are going to kill me if I don't get the exact number right. Um, <laughs> I believe you lose. I believe you lose. I, I can't remember because I haven't looked it up uh, recently. But when he questioned me on it one time in a post, uh, it is the case you lose. I think it's about five or thousand feet, but I'm not exactly sure on that number. But you lose as you go up. So six thousand, five thousand is the start number. So you don't okay. lose any percentage of, of performance until you hit 5,000. And you start losing some percentage, you know, a percentage of your performance as you go up if you haven't acclimated. So right. the, the thing is, and, th- and this is the interesting thing, if you're not exercising, uh, not everybody suffers from altitude sickness, even if they're fit or they're not fit. It kind of indiscriminately hits you. So some people, like I was at, I was at uh, 14,000 feet, had no effects. Uh, other people around me, they were having effects. Now, when I say no effects, I was still t- I was still getting out of breath. But I mean, I didn't yeah. have headaches. Uh, people, some people get headaches. They get kind of dizziness. Um, in general, if you're if you're observing somebody else, they look like they're drunk. 
Um, oh, yeah, I see it. They're, they're definitely slower. The, the interesting thing is that it's the same effect that somebody gets when they're hypothermic. So mm-hmm. they get cloudy, cloudy in the head. They're, you know, stumbling around a little bit. The reactions are a little bit slow. They might trip. You know, it, these are all things that somebody has to be kind of worried about. Most people, though, as far as I understand about this race, they're all worried about the cold, but they're not taking into account the fact that you just went from 6,000 feet to 10,000 feet. And at 10,000 feet, you're functioning roughly, if you have zero acclimation whatsoever, probably at 70% of your normal functional capacity, yep. uh, oxygen, pro- oxygen processing-wise. So you're not really functioning it all that well anyway, and then you jump in the water as you got that, got that going against you as well. So uh, that's kind of the thing is you got to understand you need to – I monitor my heart rate when I was racing at, uh, at Run Rabbit Run. I was monitoring it. And my general thing, that race average, average elevation, the average elevation was 9,000 feet. I acclimated for a week, but my heart rate difference was still 10 to 15 beats a minute. I'm sure. Per yeah. perceived exertion. So uh, if you're looking at a heart rate monitor and you're like, man, normally I'm running up this hill at 150 beats a minute, but right now I'm at 165, you better adjust because otherwise you're going to crash and burn. So yep. yeah, yeah, I mean, you definitely cannot expect to be... be- running the same paces and performing the same and i think that you know that's another part where people are going to find themselves in trouble is the overexertion and pushing themselves too too hard to the point where they can't recover from it agreed yeah yeah i mean that's i think that's the real key is that you know the experienced racers the ones who've been there before been at tahoe they know okay i gotta kind of quote unquote pace myself up the mountain i think you know, as great a racer as Adkins is, he might pace himself too well. And that's the, that's the key to his distance capacity, to, his, to the fact he's so great at distance. He knows how to pace, but it always seems on the downhill, even though he's one of the fastest downhill racers, it, it almost seems that he's just a little bit short, and that might do, be due to his pacing. Because he, he told me before when I've interviewed him that he doesn't look at a heart rate monitor. He just goes by feel. So he's feeling good. He's yep. feeling like he's pacing himself up the mountain. And then he unloads and turns himself inside out running down the mountain. Well, the average person does the opposite. They run the first half of the race like you're bat out of hell. By the time they get to the top of the mountain, they're dead. And they wonder why their race fell apart. So, you know, you got to kind of take that into into account and say, you know, I would say if you're worried about the cold and you're worried about the environment in general, you need to race negative splits or at least intend to race negative splits on the back half of that race, knowing that you're going to be running downhill knowing that uh, the, the greatest stress is at the top of the mountain, that you need to kind of save yourself and not get all caught up in the, the fact that you're at the World Championship you know, event in Tahoe and you want to go balls to the wall out the, out the gate. Right, right. Very fair, very fair. Well, I mean, obviously at this point, you know, it's Tuesday morning now when this is airing, so it's likely too late for anyone to, you know, look into a Neptune or anything like that for, for Tahoe. Um, but with other races coming up quickly that, you know, we're going to be dealing with as cold, if not colder, um, temperatures and we're facing in Tahoe, what is your, you know, what, tell us what the Neptune is and what your solution to, to this cold racing is. Well, so, you know, the Neptune, like, like I said before, it, it provides external heat. It uses, um, you know, chemical hand warmers type of thing and it protects them and, the, the, the external heat provides an, a level of assistance. 
and the airflow disruption provides a level of assistance. But it's not just about the Neptune. I mean, there's a lot of things. Like when somebody when somebody's you know owns a Neptune, I tell them, okay, we got to acclimate. We got to do this. We got to have you know for like somebody for world toughest mutter. If they're listening to this and they say, what do I got to do for world toughest mutter? And yeah, you need you need a wetsuit. You're not going to get through this race without a wetsuit. That's not going to happen. But you need to have a base layer type of thing like the Neptune. If it provides heat, that's great. That's fantastic. Uh, you need to have something that's going to block the wind on the outside uh, of your of your shorty wetsuit or whatever. For Tahoe, I would tell people do not wear. A, you might be able, depending on the temperature at the start and at the that's expected as it goes through, they might be able to get away with a frog skin because it's supposed to be cold the whole time. Uh, right. The problem with the frog skin is getting it off is no guarantee. So oh, you're gonna have to take it off, and put it back. Yeah. So you gotta you gotta be wary of that because if you overheat, like we talked about before, you're screwed. Um, at World Stuff is Mudder, you can usually get away with it. But you know, if we got a typical day in 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 Atlanta, it's gonna be 60 degrees. If you start off in a frog skin, you're gonna be in heat exhaustion. Sure, we, it was yeah. 55 right. last year. It was 55 last year. I started out with my jacket because I knew Sean Corbell was going to talk a lot. So, <laughs> but I had that thing off within two miles. So the general thing that I would say, the general items that I would say are important for a race in the cold, uh, like World Toughest Mudder, uh, obviously, Blake Mitts, Neptune, a windbreaker. You're, you talked about the neoprene hood. You got to have that. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, then eventually you're going to get into your, your shorty wetsuit and that type of stuff. Um, but just understanding the effect of the cold and the fact that if you start out too warm, you're in trouble. If you start out too cold, you're in trouble. Um, leg mitts are good. Uh, you know, people always talk to me about, uh, you know, how can I put your Neptune pouches in the leg mitt for a while? Um, uh, I do have prototype pouches at work, but uh, not everybody's going to have availability for those. So um, the, the key is, though, is just trying to do the best you can to stay, you know, to keep your extremities warm while you're, you know, while you're moving. Hopefully it won't be at, well, I say that. Hopefully it won't <laughs> be at 30 degrees. I, I don't mind 30 degrees. In fact, I never had a full wetsuit on last year, so it didn't it didn't really bother me that much. But uh, the, uh, the other thing I, I want to make sure I don't forget to mention, because, uh, Jacob, you mentioned it earlier. You mentioned the word, which most people don't know. Um, but I want to make sure people understand it is the after drop. Yeah. After drop, the effect of after drop is what causes most people who finish to get hypothermia. Yep. Uh, after drop is when you jump in the water and you get cold and your body's all jacked up, it pulls all the blood to the core, but your yep. extremities still get cold. So everybody's experienced this who's lived in cold weather. You go outside, you do some stuff outside, maybe you're watching a football game, you're doing whatever, and you're cold, but you're not stupid cold. Then you go inside, you go into the restaurant, you go into a bar, you go into your house, and all of a sudden, you can't stop shivering. Yeah. What in the heck happened? This doesn't make any sense. I'm more cold now than I was on the outside. Well, your body's protectionary system pulled all that blood to the core to keep you warm while you were outside. Your extremities continue to cool. This will happen if you do Wim Hof and you get in the cold water and you do this and you do all your breathing, you do everything, and you get out of the water and you try to get into bed or you try to just walk around your apartment or do whatever inside. All the blood that was protected inside the core goes back out to the extremities. Yep. Guess what happens? 
the, the extremities which are cold, they drop the temperature of the blood way down below where it was, and that is what's called after drop. You're pumping cold biggest, blood. Yeah. Now your blood temperature, your blood drops, your body temperature plummets, and you're standing in essentially what you think is a warm environment. That's a negative. So yep. the actual, what you really want to do, which happens at world's toughest because it has to, but in, unless you go into the med tech, uh, but at Tahoe, the worst thing you could do is to finish the race, be cold as hell and walk inside. Yeah. Well, that goes similar walk- to like the logic when you, when you hear about like, you know, kids that fall in frozen lakes and, you know, they get rescued or whatever, and you hear that, well, don't warm them up too fast and don't cover that's exactly them up. Yeah, let, let's blankets. shove them next to a fire here as quick as possible. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's exactly. Now, you can shove them next to a fire, but you can't. You got to make sure that they're cooling, that they're warming slowly. So they right. can put some blankets exactly. around. And because if, that, if the body senses, oh, we're good, that's again, you want to be comfortable. Your brain tells you you want to be comfortable. You're not going to be comfortable. The only way to make you truly comfortable quickly is to put you in a freaking warm shower. Now, um, everybody, if you've ever seen um, I'm a Rise of the Suffer Fest, and they mm-hmm. put, uh, what's the photographer's um, name? Appleton. Rick? Appleton. Appleton. They put Appleton in a shower, and he's freaking shivering like crazy. Yep. That shouldn't, they shouldn't have done that. They should have had him sit outside a little bit farther away from the fire and let him warm a little bit. He's still going to be shivering. Slowly, yep. And then send him into the shower because the shower will warm him quickly. It, yep. it, it, it's the best way to warm you. But the problem is that that after drop is still going to happen, and it, he could yep. pass out in the shower. It's a good thing John uh, Alvin didn't leave him because he could have passed out in the shower hypothermic, and nobody would have known mm-hmm. it. So that's the key is that you got to remember it, the safety issue is that you would immediately leave the festival area and go inside to warm up as soon as you finish your race. I would say put a layer on. Don't walk around like an idiot, but put a layer on. Stay outside for maybe 20, 25 minutes. Let yourself cool down from the race, but with a layer on to kind of get warm. Put your dry robe on if you got one. Then move into the inside. Don't move next to the fire yet. Then move into the inside. Stay in there for 10 or 15 minutes, then move to the fire, then go take your shower. Because although it's, it's uncomfortable, you don't want it. That after drop is dangerous. It's really dangerous. Very, so, very much so. Yeah, you well, got to be well, Just like we talked about the start line. You don't want to go for the sudden drop from warm to cold the same way as the other way around. You don't want to go from sudden cold to hot. Yeah, yeah exactly. They, they talk about. In, in world's toughest, we always talk about, you know, body, body warmth is the key. You know, if you can get naked and get, get you know, hug somebody and do all that, that's how you're going to get warm is somebody. But that's one way to do it in, the, in, a, in a survival environment where you're not going to get crazy warm, but you're going to get warm enough because your body, remember, you're, you're not putting out much heat because you, your body temperature is way low. And it's funny, if you ever touch somebody who has been in an ice bath, and you're inside and you're not in the ice bath, you realize immediately the difference in body temperature that mm-hmm. normally if you're outside with somebody, if you both are outside and you grab somebody's arm, it feels cool, but not like that. If somebody has been in an ice bath for 15 minutes or 10 minutes and they get out of the tub and you as a normal temperature human being reach over and grab their arm, it will be amazing to you how cold they yeah. are. 
because that's and and that's just the body's Skins able to up. maintain. Yep. Yeah, exactly. The body's able to maintain its temperature because we've been we've survived for five million years. We didn't without hair for a long time of that. So we've we've adapted. But the problem is, is when you subvert that adaption because your brain tells you get warm and you screw it up, then now you're in trouble. So I just want to make sure we got that out there because that's the yeah. that's the biggest danger and that people don't really understand. Well, I mean, Absolutely. it's definitely a safety thing. Absolutely. I think, you know, it goes against what your natural, you know, what you think is right. So, you know, if anyone takes anything away from this, it's, you know slowly allowing your body to adapt in both ways, you know, getting colder, getting warmer, um, make sure you're completely hydrated as much as you can be at the starting line. And then just don't start off like a butthead, you know? Yeah. Be, be wise <laughs> about what you're going into. Yep. Yeah. And, and also understand that um, what people, one of the problems that I, people, like I said, they just don't understand the effect of their cold clothing on their body. You know, oh, yeah. you see, now, Absolutely. The, the, the wind affects the wind has a major effect. And that's what Tahoe has, mm -hmm. which typically Atlanta doesn't have or other cold races might not have. When they were in Iceland, uh, they didn't get them cold. They didn't get them wet because that could have been a dangerous situation real quick because of that wind. Yeah. Uh, because if they got wet and then they got out of it and they weren't wearing the right type of clothes, which they managed, they made mandatory, uh, they'd be in trouble. But understand that your spandex don't do shit once it's wet because it's not it ain't blocking gonna, that it, wind it'll dry fast because the wind's blowing 100 miles an hour the problem is that it's cooling you and it ain't blocking the wind so you know if you get wet i would say if you want to you know you want to look like you know you're dancing down the mountain with your shirt tied around your body but if you're wearing the shirt for warmth and it gets wet take it off Deal with yep. the wind for a little bit. Let the shirt dry and put it back on. Tie it around your waist. Do whatever you have to do, but don't wear it while it's while it's wet. Wait for it to dry off slightly because uh, I know it's going to be a pain in the butt getting it off, but it's only going to make things worse. Because once the wind's blowing, it ain't doing anything anyway, except cooling you down. So at least your skin will dry quickly. But you know, like I said, windbreaker is the key. I think everybody should have one at least some form of a windbreaker. I know it's a pain in the butt to have to carry it with you, but if you're not moving fast, it's much better to, uh, to save your ego. And uh, let me tell you, let me tell you this. Everybody's ego goes out the window once they're freaking hypothermic. They don't <laughs> yeah, care. Yeah, what you don't happens. care. There is yeah. no shame and, there. <laughs> yeah. There's well, I mean, and if wearing a windbreaker is going to save your race, I mean, the bottom line comes down to, What's more important, you know, bringing a windbreaker and dealing with that versus you, you've crossed the line, you're hyperthermic, you're DNF, and you're done. I, I'm, yeah. I mean, if you're not if you're not Robert Killian, I'm thinking you're not moving fast enough to need to worry about overheating in 40 degrees with that kind of wind. So all you got to do is unzip the windbreaker, and now you got air flowing through. Now it might feel funny, it might feel like you're wearing a parachute, but. Mm -hmm. uh, you're cool now, and then once you get through the water, you can zip it back up, and although it's wet, if you're wearing a decent windbreak, like I always tell people, frog togs, the frog togs, cheap frog togs jacket from Walmart, uh, mm -hmm. the one that feels like that, uh, that grocery bag that you carry around, mm -hmm. uh, that thing does not compress when it's wet, so when it dries, it's not stuck to your skin, it still likes that air barrier there, so you're even though the wind's blowing, 
it's not stuck against your skin. You're going to get a little air barrier. You're going to feel nice and cozy, relatively speaking, uh, compared to somebody who doesn't have it. And then, you know, at 40 degrees, you just unzip that thing and the wind's going to blow through there and it's going to cool you off quickly. So I'm thinking it's not going to be a big deal. You won't need to take it off. Uh, if you're moving really, when you're going up the mountain, you might take it off, put it around your waist. But as far as I understand the obstacles, when you're running up the mountain, there's nothing getting you wet, really. And if it does get you wet, it's okay. It's no big deal. So right. Absolutely. Well, Jason, we've been spitting venom here for the past almost now 45 minutes. Um, yeah. We're coming to the end of our time here. Um, obviously, guys, check out uh, Neptune Performance. Yeah, um, how can people systems. get a hold of you, Jason? Yeah. What are what are the ways to reach you or Neptune or ask any questions if they they have any? Um, yeah, so I'm I'm always available. I'm available to ask any. You don't have to be a customer to ask me questions. I'm available on Facebook at uh, Jason Rulo, um, and then at NeptunePerformance.com. You can shoot me an email, Jason Rulo at NeptunePerformance.com, if you got a question about what type of gear. Uh, and then for people in general, if you're on sound, if you get on SoundCloud and you look up uh, uh, SoundCloud Jason underscore Rulo, or just type in WTM Cliff Notes podcast, I cover stuff specific to world's toughest mutter for gear, everything, gear, nutrition, thermal regulation. It's all specific to that, but that type of thermal regulation info is good for all OCR races. So. You know, Absolutely. you can check out that, and uh, that'll uh, that'll definitely be a good resource. Awesome. awesome. So check it out, guys. Uh, Jason Rulo. Um, Jason, thank you so much for being on the cast this week. Um, and yeah, hopefully, it was fun. Dude, yeah, man, and we'll see you soon here, buddy. All right. Sounds good, Jacob. Hey, buddy. See you Take later, care. Leah. Yep. Bye-bye. Thank Bye. you, Jason. Leah, I'm going to be honest with you. It's been like three weeks. So if people follow me and everything that I do – the Wim Hof method and be able to raise my core temperature and doing some of the cool mm -hmm. stuff that I can do. After I had the sinus surgery, I had to take like two weeks where I couldn't breathe like that. And mm. if, if people have seen me do it, it's, it's intense, Yeah, but I couldn't do it. Yeah, I would imagine not. I mean, those are some pretty deep breaths and I can't, I mean, I'm sure that kind of hurt doing after your surgery. It was really painful, but, um, talking with Rulo and talking about everything that we just did. Yeah. Um, great stuff. Good Total, times. You know, knowledge bombs dropped you guys all the science. Yeah. We went science. through a lot there. We did. And I think, you know, <laughs> the biggest takeaways, you know, for coming into this race and other races is, is preparation. And, you know, the, I think the reoccurring theme that we discussed over and over is slow temperature change you know let your body go slowly up go slowly down and vice versa yep be hydrated uh be not d but be hydrated when you start your race <laughs> be prepared get yourself a windbreaker a hat some you know bleg mitts if you can still get them if not something else you know gloves it's going to keep you warm neoprene is preferable and you know for all you guys racing tahoe this weekend good, good luck. luck have fun and kick ass you know, um, I'm so excited to be out there. Um, the next few days of my life are going to be basically podcasting, shooting video, and maybe running. I don't know if I'm going to – I don't even know what I'm running yet this weekend. Um, I did some stretch out runs earlier today, and mm -hmm. I'm going to just kind of let it happen and figure things out as I go. Sounds good. Just have fun, buddy. Um, absolutely. And, you know, Leah, it was awesome hanging out with you this past weekend at Highlander. It was a blast. We had a great time. Had a blast. Yes. It and was, I'm it so was excited for our future in this. 
Um, yeah, we've got a lot of exciting stuff coming up, both on Supercast as far as guests goes in the in the upcoming weeks, absolutely. as well as the future for the Supercast um, in in racing. So, you know, we're I'm excited for the for the rest of this season and upcoming next, and you know, hope to see you guys out there more. Twenty. 20- 2020 is going to be a great season, guys. Um, yeah. As we wrap up kind of the 2019 season, it, it's been fun. It's been awesome. And I'm so excited to be to be back in part of the community. And I appreciate yeah. everybody that reached out to us and, you know, said it was great to see us this weekend. Thank you, guys. Thank you so yeah. much. Um, but before before we leave out today, I, I can't I, – I, I have to say something about Human Octane. So Human Octane is the apparel sponsor of the Supercast and Brociar. Um, You know – Here's the thing. Everybody earlier this summer was saying crap about the uh, Kickstarter campaign that they did for the pants. Mm -hmm. Guess what I'm really excited to have in Tahoe this weekend? Had some human acting pants? Exactly. I've got the pouch on there. I'm excited to wear something full length and keep me warm. I'm excited to have it out there. Indiana has been so hot for like the last week. Today, Today the high was 72. Mm-hmm. And but yesterday it was 88, and yep. I'm going out to Tahoe here in two days, where the high is going to be like that Saturday 40. Yeah, big um, change. Big big change. So check them out, guys. Human Octane is great apparel for OCR athletes and trail mm-hmm. running athletes. Great stuff. We wore it all weekend there at Highlander Assault, and it yep. never gave out. Nope, it's durable. It washes clean. It will last race after race. You know, it's an investment up front. I'm not going to lie, but it is it's worth, worth it. every penny. It's worth it. Absolutely. You know, would you rather buy cheap gear that you have to constantly replace or the high quality stuff that's going to last you all season? And, and that's what human octane is. Exactly. It's it's worth the penny. It's worth the the credit. And it's it's good apparel, guys. So check them out. Humanoctane.com. Um, always worth it. Uh, until then, next week, Leah, I've got a busy week on my hands, but then we'll figure out things Monday, I guess, at some point to, to record again. Yep, sounds good. And in the meantime, if you guys want to leave us a review, um, we would greatly appreciate it. Like, follow, share the podcast as much as you can, and follow us. Um, I'm at OCR Leah. And I'm Brosecker. Brosecker. And um, as always, BroCR Media as well. Absolutely. Check us out in Tahoe, guys. Come give me a hug. Um, Let's talk Mm -hmm. to the sport. Until next week, I'm Jacob Bosecker. And I'm Leah Hensley. Take care, guys. We love you. Bye. This has been the Bro CR Supercast, powered by Bro CR Media. We always love reviews. Oh, and shout outs, too. Want to be on the review? Drop us a line. We know there are other obstacle course racing podcasts out there, but you choose to laugh with us for a while. So. Thanks. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. And thank you. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. God bless. Bye-bye. And bye-bye. Bye-bye. And bye-bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. And bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye.